Hey, I'm Emma. Hey, I'm Zoe. And we're roommates who read. Welcome to episode 28 of Roommates Who Read. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about A Court of Silver Flames or Akasif. It's the final book in our SJM series, but don't you worry, we're going to have a predictions episode next week. Sorry, we're a week late. Someone had to go and get the plague. <laughs> I do still, in fact, have COVID. You're still have symptoms. You're not yes. contagious. We hope. You're not contagious. Right. <laughs> so if um, I cough, and we can't edit it out, or if I just sound a little bit stuffy, it's the bubonic plague. Just let it, let it be, let it slide. Yeah, so we're a little delayed, but don't you fear? We were gonna talk about Akasif. Let me also just say, while we're on the topic of my COVID, <laughs> my COVID, <laughs> my COVID, it's <laughs> not ours. No, <laughs> Emma lives with me. Right before I tested positive, when I was not feeling sick, we shared multiple drinks. Yeah slept in the same room yeah we went out for a night that's yeah. how all this happened yeah um and emma has repeatedly tested negative i've taken probably four or five tests at this point yeah so i don't know what's wrong with her i'm telling you my immune system is elite my immune system is elite look mm. i have the science to back it up now that we've taken a covid detour where are we going we are going to the literary libation station ooh, ooh. I feel like we need a little theme song or something for it. Emma, tell the people about what the drink is like because um, I can't taste it. <laughs> this week we are drinking the Valkyrie. It has two ounces of vodka, an ounce of Cointreau, half an ounce of lemon juice, and half an ounce of blackberry simple syrup that bartender Zoe chefed up while I was at work today. Yeah, I wore a mask. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also have never made simple syrup before. It was kind of fun. It's simple. If there's one thing about me that you should know, is that I am a drink girl. Yeah, Like, that's through true. and through, whether it's coffee, tea, matcha, kombucha, cocktails, beer. I, I'm i not, like, a little treat girl. I used to be. I am a reformed little treat girl who has turned into a drink girly. And Zoe made this blackberry simple syrup, and I have this blackberry or blueberry lemon lavender tea and I'm gonna make iced tea and put this simple syrup in it tomorrow and I'm so excited I also want the people to know you're gonna see a picture of this on our Instagram (laughs) and I need you to know we got this recipe from a website Mm -hmm. and they had a picture of the drink yeah and it was this silvery black color they used black glitter that would not change what we have here this drink is red I just don't know how that would have changed the color so much I know uh, the original recipe is gin instead of vodka, and as the one who that. could taste, it did not taste good. Which is odd, because I am a gin gal. I love a gin cocktail, like, that's probably my favorite liquor to drink is gin. But it was just not good. I think it'll be much better as, like, a like a gin and tonic with a blackberry simple syrup, or, like, a Collins or something. I think it'll be better that way. Those are just my two cents. Great, thank you. <laughs> um, anyways... What are you reading this week? I am still reading A Court of Silver Flames. Yeah. Don't worry about it, friends. I just didn't really have the energy to read when I was sick. And the week before was super busy, so I got a super late start reading it. Yeah. 
probably how I got COVID. I had a very busy week. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then I was like, for the first few days, I really didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I really did not want to read. And so I'm a little bit behind, but never fear. I have read the book before. I know yeah. what happened. I've got the vibe. What are you reading this week? This reading? This reading? Are you Dwonk? No. <laughs> <laughs> this week, I am reading The Bone Season. Oh, God. By, hey, by Samantha <laughs> Shannon. And if you are a listener of this podcast or a friend, you know that I fucking love this book series. It's probably my all-time favorite book series. And if you didn't know that, buckle the fuck up. You're about to learn, friend. <laughs> it's so good. I am obsessed. And I love Samantha Shannon. Um, early on in the days of this podcast, we did a Pride Month series and we featured Samantha Shannon in our Pride Month series. So if you want to listen to that episode. It's back in June. Yeah. It was like the first Pride Month episode yeah. we did. So early June. But I talk about um, the Bone Season series, which currently has four books and a few novellas. And then um, her other series, which I think is called The Roots of Chaos, but do not quote me on that. But the first book is The Priory of the Orange Tree. And the second book, which is technically like a prequel, A Day of Fall Night, is coming out soon. Like, within the, by the end of the month. Really? Yeah. But I love Samantha Shannon. The Bone Season series, I think, is underappreciated. And I just, I had a hankering. I had been in a fantasy kick. And then I had a little romance cleanse, and then I was like, hmm, sci-fi. So this is where we ended up. <laughs> yeah, I think after I finish Silver Flames, I need to have a fantasy break for a hot minute. Yeah. I think my plan, you'll hear on the podcast what I'm reading, but I tentatively my plan is to read Daisy Jones and the Six next. Oh, I need to read that too. And then, this is so not relevant. This is just me talking about my life plans. Okay. I mean, my life book plans. It's okay. relevant, but... okay. You know that hockey romance has been kind of... Yes. Yeah. Icebreaker. Yeah, I have that in my Kindle library. Oh, yeah, you should read that. And... The author just announced a sequel. It's not a sequel, but it's about another friend and a different Hmm. love interest. There's something else I was thinking today that I was going to read eventually after I finish Axif, but now I can't remember. Anyways, those are my thoughts. Yeah, you'll you'll see what we're reading. Should we uh, transition? I think we should. I think it's time to start talking about Nesta. Yes. Yes, <laughs> Cut it. Okay, everyone, before we get into this episode, before we talk about the events of this book, I just want to give a trigger warning for sexual assault. There are some themes of it in this book, and I think we'll be talking about it in the events fairly candidly. So if that's something that you're sensitive to or triggering for you, this might not be the best episode for you to listen to. Um, we just want to make that aware for everyone before they start the episode. Um, we don't want to take anyone by surprise because it's a sensitive subject. Yeah. Yeah. With that being said, we're going to get into the episode. It's going to be the same format as the other episodes. So characters, plot, reactions. I was really worried you weren't going to do a flow there for a minute. I can't forget my roots. I can't Ooh. forget my roots. Anyways, uh, people, this book, we're switching POVs. So it's Anesta and Cassian POV. Reese and Feyre, they gone. They're not gone. But their POVs are gone. The two new characters that I want to introduce are Gwyneth, aka Gwen. That's what she goes by for most of the book. Um, she is a priestess living in the library that's atta- attached to the House of Wind. So I don't know if we've talked about the House of Wind before, but it's one of the properties of the Night Courts in Valeris. It's built into it's this of, mountain. Yeah, it's one of Reese's homes. Yeah. 
And the only way to get into the house is to fly in, or there are 10,000 steps you yeah. can climb to get into it. But they're attached to the House of Wind is a library, and Reese, I think after the first war maybe, set up a sanctuary for priestesses who... So She's she, one of the priestesses yeah. in the library. So she obviously has her own past that has put her there, and that's something that gets revealed later on that we'll talk about. It's a, basically a safe haven for these women who have gone through these really awful things. And she's on the younger side compared to the other women living in the colony. The colony. <laughs> Why do you have all these words for it? I don't know. Gwen is a little bit on the younger side compared to some of the other priestesses living there. So if you remember, Nesta's about, what, like 26, 27? No, she's 23, 24. Gwen is a similar age to Nesta, I believe. Like She's, she's a few years older than yeah. Nesta. She's not like hundreds of years old right. like these other fae or the other priestesses are and i think that's important context for the story gwen is a quarter water nymph so her mother was half water nymph of the library yeah of the library she has just a more minor role but you might hear her name just so for some context for that yeah i talk about her a little bit later and who she is yeah and the other main character that i want to introduce you to is emery her name was like briefly mentioned in A Quarter Frost and Starlight, but this is when you really see her character. Uh, she runs a supply shop in the main Illyrian war camp, um, and this is much to the distaste of her family members, so I guess it was her dad's shop before this. It was. And then when he died in the war, she took it over, and, you know, because the Illyrians have this very patriarchal, like... Society. Society, yeah. They think that a woman's place is in the home, so they're like, what is this bitch doing running her shop? <laughs> And <laughs> you're gonna say it like that. Kind of took me by surprise. So she gets a lot of flack from her family, but specifically her one cousin, um, Belius. Belius, little bitch. What a stupid name! <laughs> Can you imagine your name being Belius? <laughs> Mistreating her because of it, but she they're like Hasselin or yeah. So she'll be in this book. Uh, I think that's it for the characters. Is it time to get into the plot? I think so. All right. Bear with my little stuffy voice. So this is about nine months after the events of Frost and Starlight. Mm-hmm. Frost and Starlight takes place at Winter Solstice. And this is the following autumn that the stuff yeah. is taking place. So conceptualize yourself. Place yeah. yourself. Nesta is really not okay. No. She is re- really using some unhealthy coping mechanisms. Namely, um... Liquor. Liquor. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. And that's the other. (laughs) While she's doing all of this drinking and sleeping with pretty much any man with a heartbeat in Valeris, she is charging all of her expenses to Reese and Feyre's account, which is something that all of the inner circle does, but, like... Not to the extent that she does. No, and they're, like, the inner circle, they're all involved in each other's lives, and Nesta has made very clear that she doesn't want anything to do with them, but is also content to just, like, mooch off of them and like the way I kind of envisioned it is like her going to a bar and being like I can order this really expensive bottle of liquor Reese will pay for it there are no consequences to me and so she's just spending absolutely ridiculous amounts of money because she can so one day Cassian shows up at her apartment she lives in this like slummy apartment on the outskirts of Valeris because she doesn't want to live in any of the like properties that the inner circle has Mm -hmm. And Cassian shows up, kicks out the guy that she was sleeping with. Yeah. And is like, hey, 
you need to go to the river house, which is the new house that Feyre and Reese have built. Yeah. Like right now. So when Nesta gets there, Reese, Amran, Feyre, and Cassian are all basically holding an intervention for her. Yeah. And they tell her she's either going to go to the House of Wind, which Emma just talked about, and train with Cassian in one of the Illyrian camps, or she's going to be sent back to the human lands because it's just not, it's not vibing. It's a choice, but it's not really a choice because if she goes to live in the human lands, she'll be absolutely persecuted. Right. So she has an option, but not really. She goes to the House of Wind, and every day, Moore or Reese show up to take Nesta and Cassian to Windhaven, which is an Illyrian training camp where Emery lives. Yeah, it's like the main camp. Yeah. And Cassian tries to get Nesta to train, but every time she refuses, she just, like, sits down on a rock. She won't do anything. And it's really embarrassing to Cassian. And her training is one of the stipulations of their, like, interventions, that she's going to live in the House of Wind, and she's going to train, and she's going to work in the library. Those are her, like, three conditions. Right. The reason it's embarrassing to Cassian is he's already not completely, even though he's the general of the Illyrians, he's not taken seriously by a lot of them. They don't respect him. So to have Nesta show up every single day and basically just, like, spit in his face. Yeah. And he's trying to get the other Illyrians to let women train. Right. And they're like, oh, well, clearly this woman doesn't want to train. Right. Yeah. So while she's in Windhaven, Nesta goes into a shop one day and meets a female Illyrian who has her wings clipped, which I think we might have talked about wing clipping before. Yeah. But it's basically, like, a practice in the Illyrian camps that they do to women to keep them from being able to fly mm-hmm. to control them right and so this female is emery mm-hmm. and it's the first time that they meet in the afternoons like emma said one of the stipulations is also that she works at the library in the house of wind alongside other priestesses and these priestesses like we talked about before are all survivors of sexual assault and the library is the safe haven that reese has established for them and while she's working there, Nesta starts to make friends with a priestess named Gwen. I kind of forgot when I read it um, this time that Nesta and Gwen at first no. aren't really friends. They don't get along. And it's only through, like, kind of... I think they, like, grow to respect each other before yeah, like they grow to be respect. friends. Yeah. And then eventually it turns into a friendship. Yeah. While living in the House of Wind, Nesta also begins to realize that the house itself is enchanted to... It's kind of sentient. Yeah. But the way that Nesta experiences it is different than the way everyone else uh, right. experiences it. Because yeah. when she first mentions it to Cassie and he's like, have you lost your fucking mind? Like, yeah. what? And it just it, treats her well. And it tunes itself to her preferences. So one thing about Nesta in this book is that she really can't stand the sound of a fire. Mm-hmm. And so a couple times when she first gets there, the house tries to light a fire in the fireplace in her room, you know, because... It's cold. Fall, yeah. Um, and Nesta's like, no, no fire. Like, please don't turn on the fire. Mm-hmm. And so eventually the house just starts warming Nesta's room without yeah. a fire. Really because it realizes that she, it bothers her. Yeah. Another feature of the house is, like Emma says, it ha- Emma said earlier, it has 10,000 steps. And these are the only way out of the house besides having one of the bad boys fly you out. Mm-hmm. So Nesta starts training also by trying to take these stairs a little bit at a time. And she does it especially when she's feeling, like, nervous or stressed. She'll just run down the stairs and then walk back up. The first time she does it, she Kind of in a fit of rage. Well, she's pissed off and she wants to go and have a drink. Right. And no one's going to take her to get her (laughs) to have a drink. So the only way to go down 
or to get out is to go down these steps and she makes it like 300 steps not, or something not even it was like 150 yeah. and so then she has to turn around and come back and so it becomes kind of her personal mission like if she's had a bad day or right. if she's just feeling a lot of emotions she goes and she sometimes tries... she'll hit, she has nightmares and she'll take them yeah the, the first time she takes it though she does like trip and like busts up her face mm-hmm. and when she gets back to the top of the stairs cassian is waiting for her just standing laughing. there yeah um, which I thought Yeah, because it's like a, a spiral funny. staircase. Yeah. So she talks about going down and being dizzy. Oh, God. I, stairs. Just imagining that makes me, like, motion sick. Mm-hmm. So after a few days of Nesta's repeated refusal to train at Windhaven, Cassian is talking to Moore, and he's just frustrated. Yeah. He's just kind of venting. Right. And he says, she says she won't train there. And he has this moment of realization that Nesta doesn't want to train at Windhaven. Mm-hmm. And she's refusing to train there. As time goes on, Nesta really starts to enjoy her training. And she realizes how powerful she feels. Mm-hmm. Not just physically, but mentally. Yeah, And she really likes that feeling. She doesn't want to feel powerless again. Yeah. And she thinks it would be helpful to the priestesses as well. After everything that they've been through. So she gets permission from Clotho to put up a sign-up sheet in the library. And at first, none of the priestesses sign up, and Nesta's really discouraged. It really yeah. bothers her. But eventually, Gwen signs up, and over time, more priestesses start to join in. And part of the reason that the priestesses are hesitant is because, like we've mentioned, all the priestesses are victims of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And having Cassie in there is really scary. Like, yeah. Cassian's not just... a man. He's, and he's not just a, a man, but he's a big guy. Yeah. Like, he's described as a very big, like, brutish-looking guy. Yeah. Muscular, tall, just an intense Right, and man. he's the general of the Night Court's army, so he's not, like, the most warm and fuzzy person, you yeah. know? And so I think that that is something that really intimidates them. Mm-hmm. Besides the fact that a lot of them, like, since they've been taken to the library, have not gone outside since. Yeah, there are priestesses that Gwen talks about who have been there for hundreds of years who have literally never been outside since they've gotten there right and the thing about Gwen is that we know where she was Mm -hmm. before she came to the library and it's kind of a nod if you remember in A Court of Mist and Fury when Favor first comes to the night court Asriel talks to Reese about a temple that's been like ransacked by Hybern. Hybern and his forces and that's where Gwen was yeah so Gwen hasn't even been there. Gwen's only been there two years. Mm-hmm. And when she comes out into the house of, onto the top of the House of the Wind mm-hmm. for her first training, she talks about, like, I forgot how it feels to have the sun on my face. Mm-hmm. And, like, if I get a little bit distracted today, you just have to forgive me because I have forgotten the feeling of the sun in my hair yeah. and on my face. Eventually, Emery also joins them. And Gwen tells them about the Valkyries, which were th- this ancient group of women mm-hmm. who fought um they were warriors yeah they're not even that ancient because cassie and Azriel and reese end up telling them that they fought with some of the valkyries during oh. the first war um but they but they there aren't any more no they they all died off after the first yeah war. so a lot of them died during the war and then subsequently after and so then Emery and Gwen and Nesta start adopting some of their training techniques. Mm-hmm. And this really starts to solidify their friendship. Yeah, they kind of become a little unit. Because when they first start to train, 
the only people training are Nesta, Emery, and Gwen, and then the other priestesses join once Gwen's been training for a little while, so they're a little bit more advanced. So they kind of do their own thing and just form this unit and like form this friendship surrounding training it just like through each other. While this is going on, we also learn that Feyre is pregnant. Yeah. And so she's kind of down for the count for anything dangerous in this book. Yeah. Reese is freaking out. Yeah. He's overly protective. Shocking. We find out from Reese that the baby's going to be born with Illyrian wings. And basically, unless they can find some way to fix this, it's probably going to kill Feyre. But Reese doesn't want Feyre to know. Yeah. And the reason it's going to kill her is because... According to the book. Yeah. According to the book, Illyrian women have a different pelvis structure that allows them to give birth to children with wings. And Feyre doesn't have that. So based on like previous births like this... The baby's gonna get stuck. She's gonna hemorrhage and die. And the and baby's so the gonna baby die. die. And Reese and Feyre, <laughs> at the end of Frost and Starlight, made this bargain with each other. Yeah. After everything they'd been through, you know, both of them have died and come back. So they decide that they are going to make a bargain at the end of Frost and Starlight. That whenever one of them dies, the other one will also die, so yeah. that they don't have to live without each other. Yeah. A so, fool's bargain. Yeah. Just keep that in mind. So if Feyre dies, Reese dies. dies. And vice versa. Right. Cassian and Reese go to meet with Eris from the Autumn Court. And they find out that a group of Autumn Court soldiers that are, like, specific to Eris, they're, mm-hmm. like, his own little, little group. They've gone missing, and he doesn't know why. But we also learn from this meeting that Baron, who is the High Lord of the Autumn Court... Mm-hmm has allied himself with the evil human queen, Briallen, mm-hmm. on the continent. And if you remember, she's one of the queens that we meet in Miss and Fury. Right. So Briallen's the first to jump on that opportunity after she sees Nesta and Elaine. Mm-hmm. And Briallen is young. She's one of the younger queens. Yeah. But after Nesta has gone into the cauldron, Nesta's taken something from mm-hmm. the cauldron. And so when Briallen goes into the cauldron... It changes her into a fae. She's immortal. But she's this, like, old... Decrepit woman. Right. So Brianna's kind of fucking pissed. And Nesta specifically. Right. Because she thinks Nesta took the part of the cauldron that would have made her young and beautiful. Right. So after learning this from Eris, Asriel starts spying on Brianna. And they find out that Kostche... Mm-hmm. And... Co- okay. Hold on. Kostche. He Pause. is a death lord. He is the brother to the bone carver and the weaver. Mm -hmm. And he is confined to a lake on the continent because he's such a bad dude. He was basically, like, lured and then cursed to be trapped Right. Because he's bad. And this is where Vasa has been up until the war when they went and got her. Yeah. And Vasa, Koshche put the curse on Vasa. To to turn turn her into the firebird. So just conceptual, Koshche's not a nice guy. Koshche's a bad guy. He's plotting. Right. Azrael finds out that Koshche has been basically egging on Briallen to do his bidding. And so Briallen's looking for this thing called the Dread Trove. Mm -hmm. And the Dread Trove are these ancient items. Made by the cauldron. Right. And so there are three items. The mask, and that can raise the dead. Mm -hmm. And can control them. So you could basically have like an army of the dead. Right, which would be really great because you'd never run out of... Soldiers, you don't have to feed them. Yeah. Right. Then there's a harp, and that can open any door, 
Even one between worlds. Yeah. Even time itself. Right. And there's a crown. And the crown can influence anyone as long as you're close enough to them. Mm -hmm. Even piercing through, like, the strongest of mental sh- So the inner court has a theory that Nesta could find the objects by scrying, which- How do you explain scrying? Uh, we talked about it a little bit in one of the past episodes, but it's basically, like, you use- Stones Stones and and bones. And then she kind of envisions where the object is, and then she sh- almost Drops like shakes them, them yeah. like dice, and it lands where it should be on a map, right? Yeah, where the item should be. I hope that made sense. <laughs> but the last time Ness described was during a court of wings and ruin, and when that happened, this was during the war. Mm-hmm. Nesta. The cauldron looked at Nesta through this scrying. Yeah, because she has this connection, to right? It. And it saw where they were, and it kind of told Hybern where Elaine was, mm-hmm. and that's how Elaine gets kidnapped. Mm-hmm. So Nesta really doesn't want to scry again. It's really it she's freaks her out. She's about putting Elaine in danger, again. right? And she's just afraid. Mm-hmm. And so Elaine volunteers to use her powers. If you remember Elaine to see her, yeah. But Nesta doesn't want Elaine to do that because she's worried about her. Yeah. So Nesta, it's kind of a point of contention. She really doesn't want to scry and. Amryn's really pushing for Nesta to do it. Yeah. But eventually Nesta decides to do it, but it's just her and Cassian. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't want anyone else there. But it ends up not going very well. She just doesn't... She doesn't get any information. She feels like she's kind of, like, going in circles in she her head. She can't really form a connection right. when she wants to, yeah. But that night, Nesta has a nightmare. And it's, like, the cauldron is coming into the House of Wind to get her. And in her bed, she bursts into these silver flames. Yeah. And, so, oh, no, what were you going to say? I just don't know if we've talked about Nesta's power that much, and I feel like this could be a good point to do it. But, um, so the silver flames are symbolic of Nesta's power, and they talk about, you know, like, she took something from the cauldron, and so this power that she has, instead of, you know, a fire that burns hot, she has these silver flames that burn cold as ice, and Amran thinks that her power is, like, death itself. And that she can be this incredibly powerful fae because she has power of the cauldron, which is like the magic that supports their universe. So these silver flames are like a manifestation of Nessa's power, which she's tried really hard to like tamp down. So this is kind of like this outburst caused by the scrying. So this nightmare wakes up Cassian and Asriel, who they're staying in the house with her. Mm -hmm. um, And they rush into her room and they hear her screaming. It also wakes up Reese, who is sleeping in the river house on, like, the other side of Valeris. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just because of his, you know, he's the High Lord. He's got this connection. I think he can also sense, like, Cassian's panic. Probably. And he comes to help. Asriel is physically restraining Cassian because he's trying to get to Nesta, but Reese is trying to put his put out her flames with his power. Cassian thinks that this is hurting Nesta because she's just screaming. Yeah. Eventually, Asriel, like, Cassian's like, let go of me, let go of me. And I don't know why, but Asriel's just like, okay. Okay, man. <laughs> All right. And so he goes over and he basically has to talk to Nesta and get that kind of gets the flames to go down enough so that Reese's magic can actually, like, overtake them. Mm-hmm. Because before it was like they were just, like, fighting each other. Mm-hmm. This is when Reese realizes for sure, for sure, that Nesta's power is death. Because after this whole experience, Reese is just shaken right and he's panicked and they're like what's wrong and he goes i saw death like truly death so nesta decides to scry again to help find the 
mask. And, you know, I think this is bold of her. I've got to say. Agree. But this time, everyone's involved. Yeah. So she puts up a really strong mental shield while she's scrying. And that makes it so that absolutely no one can break in, even when they realize that she's in trouble. Yeah. Because she wants to make sure that the cauldron can't find the rest of her family. Right. But her eyes start basically glowing with, like, silver flames. Yeah. The room is freezing cold. And she's almost in this trance. And Feyre is like, we have to get her, like, screw scrying. Like, we have to help her. And Reese is like, literally, I cannot break into her mind right now. It's literally impenetrable. Like, every time she scries, even going back to Wings and Ruin, Cassian is, like, right behind her. Yeah. And so he sits down, he holds her hand, and he's just talking to her and kind of, like, flirting with her. This part, I really like this part. It says that she, like, the book says she turns to look at him. Mm-hmm. It was, like, death stared at Cassian, but death had been with him every day of his life. So he just stroked her hand with his thumb and said hello Ness and I was just like oh I love that part yeah but then like Emma said it's not working so Cassian basically starts making out with her yeah um and that's how she breaks out of this trance and drops the stones and bones and everyone in the room is like what (laughs) because up until this point Cassian and Nessa have had this little like flirty romance right but no one's acted on it Asriel knows that they've acted on it but because he's in the house yeah but they haven't like defined anything like there's no, they've no just had there's a, no dtr they've had a little uh little uh, smutty moments and so all this happens and there's this like they're talking about it and you get this pov where like Farah and reese just kind of look at each other and be like hmm <laughs> filing that away for later right it's like when you're out <laughs> i don't know if you're gonna under- i think you'll understand this feeling like what? we're out in a group of people and someone says something you ever, like, sometimes I just look at you, yeah. and I'm like, we're going to talk about this <laughs> <Yeah>. later. <laughs> That's the kind of look that Feyre and Reese share when this happens. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a big step for Cassian, because I feel like Nessa's the more of a standoffish one in right. the relationship, and Cassian's, like, really claiming her kind of in this moment, and claiming that he cares for her, and that they're not just friends. <laughs> when Nesta gets broken out of this trance, she drops her stones, stones and bones. bones. <laughs> And they land on this bog that's in the middle. If you remember, we've talked about the middle before. It's like this sacred land where all these like ancient creatures of Prithian live. That's where the mask is. It's somewhere in this bog. Yeah. So Nesta, Cassian, and Azrael, the next day they go to the bog. They're all pretty deeply unsettled by yeah. it. Except Cassian. Cassian's just kind of like, eh. Yeah. But Nesta comments multiple times about how Azrael is just like, I don't want to fucking be here. (laughs) Also, for context, the bog is where people used to bury their dead. Like, soldiers who got, like, an honorific burial after war are buried in this bog. Right. There's a lot of dead-ass bodies in this bog. Yeah, and there's also these other creatures that they talk about called Kelpies. I'm gonna get there. Okay. So, Cassie and Anesta are flying around, and they're basically waiting for Nesta to connect with the mask through, like, her connection with the cauldron. They're like, whoop. And it. find it, yeah. yeah. And Azriel is flying behind them. And all of a sudden, they turn around and Azriel's just, like, not there. He's been shot with an Ash arrow. And if you remember, Ashwood... How many times can we say that? Right. If you remember. Ashwood is something that... It's, like, one of the only things that actually cripple Faye. Yeah. So Azriel's going fucking down. Yeah. So Cassian puts Nesta in a tree 
for keep her safe <laughs> so that he can go help Asriel. And it turns out that Asriel was attacked by Autumn Court soldiers. Interesting. The same ones that Interesting. perhaps Eris lost. So Nesta starts to get worried because it's been like half an hour. Cassian's not back. Asriel's fucking gone. Right. And she's starting to get worried that one or both of them is like dead. Yeah. Or and like mortally wounded. And she's like, I'm not just going to fucking sit here. Yeah. And wait. If I can help them. Right. Yeah. So she starts shimmying down the tree. And she gets near the bog. And she kind of looks into it. And she sees these eyes looking back at her. And she's like, oh, fuck. And then this, like, nasty ancient creature called a Kelpie, like Emma was talking about, comes out of the water. And he's speaking to her in this tongue she doesn't understand. Which is the ancient fey language. The ancient fey language. But basically, what we learn later, because Nesta shows this memory to Reese, who shows it to Amran. Yeah. Because Amran knows the ancient fey language. Is that the Kelpie's plan was basically to drag her underwater sexually assault her, and then kill her. Read it the first time. I didn't remember how kind of graphic this scene was. The Kelpie literally is, like, shoving his tongue into her mouth, and she ends up, like, her mouth is, like, scratched up for days, just, like, from... His scales. Yeah, and just being forced open. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a lot more graphic than I remembered it being. Yeah. But while Nesta's in the water, at first she's just, like, she's so paralyzed with fear, she's not even doing anything. Yeah, because the Kelpie attacks her and then drags her underwater. Right. And she just doesn't, she literally is paralyzed with fear, doesn't know what to do. And she passes, like, in the water, passes the mask. It, like, floats to her. She's like, oh, shit, I know what that is. So she puts it on her face and raises the dead in the bog mm-hmm. to fight the Kelpie off for her. She cuts the set off. She does. And at this, like, at the same time, Cassian and Asriel, they finish fighting the Autumn Court soldiers. Mm-hmm. And so they're running back to look for Nesta. And they're, like, knee-deep in the bog because mm-hmm. Cassian can, like, catch her scent. Mm-hmm. Because the Fae can smell each other. That's weird. I Yeah, I don't know how to describe it, but... So he knows she went into the water. So they're like looking around and she just raises out of the bog wearing the mask with the dead behind her holding the head of the Kelpie. And Emma, there's, Emma has written a a little little quote that she likes. So she raises the dead. Dead are standing behind her. She's holding the Kelpie's head, has the mask on. This is from Cassian's POV. So it says, but they were both Illyrian. And so they did what their people had always done before death's beautiful face. They bowed. And then it's just, Nesta oh. just pops off the mask. They leave. So the three of them take the mask back to the night court where Reese locks it up. And they were also able to, like, take two of the autumn court soldiers back because they seemed sus. They, like, they weren't acting normal. They were... They seemed Captain like and they Asriel had been enchanted. Describe them as just, like, fighting with no end. Like, there was no... The only thought was violence and to kill these people. There was no They like, were just humanity. in a trance. Yeah. yeah. And so they also think that they might be Eris's missing soldiers. So then Reese gets Helion, who's the High Lord of the Day Court, if you remember, to come and help them enchant the mask to like Yeah. Basically pr- like protect the rest of them from the mask, mm-hmm. like enchant it to be locked down. Yeah. But also to observe the soldiers and see what he thinks about them because Helion is like super versed in spells and curses. He's like a master of knowledge. Like that's one of the day court's 
magic is you know knowledge and spells and right um like curses that kind of stuff obviously helian tells them this and it's not good news it they were really hoping to have all of the dread trove objects in their control so that Rian couldn't use them against them essentially so when helian tells them this they're like oh shit like this is not good and another part during the visit so helian is just like a very flirty guy in general and he starts flirting with Nesta and Cassian, not having it. He's not pleased by that whatsoever. And so after all this happens with the Kelpie and everything, and they get, they're in the like Moonstone Palace above the Court of Nightmares. Mm-hmm. And Cassian goes into Nesta's room while they're there to basically check on her. And they end up sleeping together for the first time. And they're both like, it's just sex. Like they make this agreement, like we're not anything, you know, we're just hooking up. It's really Nesta who makes the agreement, though. Yeah. She's like, it's just sex, and Cassian's like, whatever you'll give me, I'll take. Yeah. Because um, Cassian is smitten. So that's kind of the a further development in the relationship, partly spurred on by the jealousy from Cassian when, like, Killian's flirting with Nesta. So that's just an important thing to know. Like, the relationship is developing as all of these plot points are going on. So kind of in the meantime, they're going back to training. She's still training with Gwen and Emery and Cassian. Um, and they're searching for the other objects, and Gwen, Emery, and Nesta just become closer. They're becoming friends. This is kind of just, like, the passage of time in this book. Right. I called it a B-roll montage earlier. Yeah, Asriel starts joining them and training the other priestesses. Yeah, so just time is passing. They're training. They're looking for the objects. Nothing. They're becoming buddies. Yeah. It's mostly their friendship developing, which we wanted you guys to read. So during this process, Cassian takes Nesta to a blacksmith in Valeris because he thinks, well, he takes her originally because Nesta wants to start training with a sword. And Cassian's like, well, if you're going to wield a sword, you need to know what goes into making a sword and like the power that this weapon has. So while they're there, the blacksmith lets Nesta hammer some of the swords and she ends up putting some of her power, i.e. the cauldron's power, into these swords. And a few days later, the blacksmith drops them off at the river house, which is Reese's house, and is like absolutely freaked. Like this woman cursed these objects, blah blah blah. And so Reese calls together the inner court, so not including Nesta. And he explains the situation as like Nesta basically made her own dread trove. Like she Im- made three other objects with the cauldron's power, and they hold this vote to decide if they should tell Nesta about this or not. And Amron and Reese vote against her and Asian. Asian. Cassian and Asriel vote yes. And Feyre is the tie-breaking vote that's also yes um, to tell uh, Nesta about these. So it kind of goes on for a little bit of time. And Cassian ends up like casually bringing up like, oh, if you had a sword, what would you name it at training? And then Nesta finds out that they all held this vote to decide whether or not they should tell her. And she finds out through Cassian that Amran was one of the votes against her. Like, she knew Reese was going to vote right. against her no matter what. So she finds out this about Amran, and she is livid. Nesta and Amran have been beefing. I know in the past episodes we've talked about how Amran was kind of training Nesta, but they yeah. got into a fight. Yeah. Like, right before the events of Silver Flames. Right. And so they're beefing. That's important. Yeah. And Amron's been really harsh on Nesta, any interactions they've had on this book. And it's like very much not on her side anymore. So Nesta, in her anger, 
climbs down all 10,000 steps to get out of the house of wind. She marches her not-so-happy ass to Aaron's apartment in Valeris and just absolutely starts tearing her a new one. It's like, I can't believe you do this to me. You're the one who wanted me to discover my power. But, like, she is so upset. And Especially then, because Nesta, at this point in the book, has made a lot of internal yeah, progress. Yeah. Like, obviously, she's not... She's. I mean, she's still not fully healed. Yeah. But, like... She's not lashing out as much. No, she's she's taking a lot of steps. Yeah. And there are steps that Amron pushed her to take, yeah. too. And Cassian, at this point, Cassian is really the only one who knows that Nessa's really made this much progress. real. Yeah. But Azrael kind of just keeps his business to himself. Right. And so... He's not there as much. Yeah. Reese and Amron still really think the worst of Nesta. And Cassian is like, why can't you see what I see? And it's kind of a point of contention between Reese and Cassian for a lot of the book. During this fight, Feyre ends up showing up to kind of, like, break things apart, essentially. Mm-hmm. And in her anger, Nesta tells Feyre, she's basically, like, shit-talking Reese, and she's like, oh, well, your mate who's, like, so bold and so, you know, perfect, perfect hasn't told you that that baby inside you is going to kill you. And as soon as she says it, Nesta immediately regrets it. She sees, like, Feyre's face change, and she knows that she's, like, really fucked up. She crossed the line. Yeah. Amron basically kicks her out of the apartment. Uh, Reese finds out about this, and Reese basically tells Cassian through his mind, like, get Ness out of the city before I kill her. That's literally the line from yeah. the book. And so Cassian flies her up to the House of Wind, and they grab basically, like, a hiking backpack, and they go backpacking through the woods. <laughs> For a week. For a week. And Cassian initially does this just to get Nessa out of the city, but he also knows that Nesta is just at an internal breaking point and that she needs this time to just heal and reflect and think. And he knows that this kind of like watershed of emotions is going to happen. And he doesn't want her. He wants to protect her in the best that he, way he can and just right. kind of help her through that. And being away from Valeris and the rest of the inner circle is what she needs to have this like emotional Mo- yeah. moment. Yeah. And he knows that her lashing out at Favreau was kind of the tipping point for right. this. Because even though Nesta and Feyre don't get along, Nesta does care about Feyre. Yeah. Yeah. And she knows she crossed the line. And she would, she doesn't want to hurt her sister. She doesn't want her to die. Like, well, no. And she, yeah. I mean, she doesn't want to upset her sister in that way. Like, even and when she's mad at Feyre, she doesn't want to cause her pain. And especially at this point, because she's made this progress... She wants that, she doesn't want to cause her pain even more. Like, she's even more concerned about everything. So, they go on this hike, and basically during the entire hike, Nesta is silent. She won't eat. She refuses to really drink any water. She's basically wishing that she would die. Like, she doesn't think that her life is worth living. She doesn't think that she's worthy of other people caring about her. She's given up, and she wants to die. It's, like, very, very sad. (laughs) And, like, on maybe the third or fourth day of this hike she hasn't drank any water she hasn't eaten food in days and she collapses and kind of like tumbles down the mountain I'm a little sorry, bit really <laughs> and cassian's making her carry this pack she's with cassian the whole time they're absolutely silent like nesta does not want to talk to him she has this little tumble and so cassian flies them to a lake that's super close by and he's like don't worry about it we'll sit on the shores of the lake like you need to drink some water and rest and eat some food and while they're on the edge of this lake um nesta 
just puts her head in her hands and she starts crying and Cassian's like okay this is the moment that I was expecting and it is absolutely heart-wrenching this these few chapters in this book sobbing tears like every time I've read this book I've had to stop and put it down because I've been crying so hard that I literally could not see to read shockingly (laughs) I have not cried I know we're all surprised Nesta is like I don't deserve this. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve to live. Like, I could have saved this. Like, she's just talking about all of this trauma from the cauldron to her dad dying to everything that she put Pharaoh through to everything she's put Cassian through and all the things she said to everyone. And she's just really coming to terms with her actions. And how they've affected other people. And it's, it is heartbreaking. During all of this, Cassian is just, like, holding her. She's just crying it out. And then instead of being like, yeah, you fucked up, he tells her the story of what happened after his mom died and everything that he went through with that. And basically it's kind of his way of saying like, I see you and I see your pain and I see the mistakes that you made and you should know that you can come back from them because I did worse or just as worse. And I came back and I'm worthy of love and I'm worthy of this place in the inner circle. And it just, it hurts my soul. And I hope when you read it that you cry a little bit. I hope you do. <laughs> um, I didn't the first time. So I can't, I'm not going to fully explain it because there's so much in it. And it's just powerful. You need to read it for yourself. But once they get back, Nesta and Cassian end up spending like a day or two more on the lake and just like enjoying each other's time and each other's bodies. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do different approaches. And they just take some time for themselves and like take time for Nesta to come down from all of those emotions so when they get back they train some more and Nesta scries for the harp again or for the harp so again like we said before when she scries stones and bones scries for the mask it's the same thing she scries for the harp and it leads them to the prison which I think we've talked about before we've talked about it's a prison it's a stone prison good thank you good description (laughs) and so they travel all the way down into the bottom of the prison and Nesta's like yep the harp is behind this false wall they go in there and Nesta holds the harp and when she's holding the harp she has this vision and then she also makes this connection with Briallen and Briallen's like I see you Nesta Archeron like I know you have the harp but I'm coming for you basically Ooh. when she re- gets out of this vision and she like is holding the harp she comes out and one of the doors to the prison cell is opened and it's this like awful creature that Cassian had a really tough time getting in the prison in the first place and so they have to fight it and it ends up not going well and Nesta, Cassian tells Nesta to run because Cassian's gonna sacrifice himself for her and then she goes back to save him and she ends up using the strings of the harp to escape because like Zoe mentioned earlier the harp can take you to any place it Mm -hmm. can open any door and so the harp has I think 26 strings and the shorter the string the shorter distance you travel and so the last string they talk about like no one has ever played the last string and Nessa thinks the last string is time itself um and being able to travel through time she plucks one of the smaller strings and it transports Cassian and Nesta to the lawn of the river house and so they kind of prove the theory that like this is what the harp does and so she shows Reese her memories and Reese is like well shit (laughs) (laughs) well shit Reese (laughs) that all happens and so they have Helian come back 
or Helion tells Reese how to set locks again so that right. they can lock up the harp as well. They want to make sure that he's fully on their side and not working with his dad and with Brie Allen by proxy. So they decide that they're going to have Nesta dance with him because Nesta is this incredible dancer and Elaine tells the story about it. And they're like, yep, sold. We're going to have Nesta dance with And I noticed that Nesta is really good at kind of playing like the court role. Yeah. Um, Moore basically trains with Nesta to teach her all the dances of the Court of Nightmares. And Nesta secretly loving it. She mm-hmm. loves to dance. So they get there and they announce Faye's pregnancy and Eris is like, oh, congratulations to you both, like blah, blah, blah. And they basically offer Nesta up to Eris. They do this dance. Eris is gobsmacked. He is digmatized. He digmatized? <laughs> he is ready to propose in that moment. He really is. And digmatized. I like that. <laughs> I did not come up with it. <laughs> um, I cannot, cannot say that I claim that one. They dance a few more dances. Cassian this whole time clenching his teeth and his fists he is just like on edge because he's so jealous and he hates Eris like of all the males Eris and he wasn't really on board with this plan but then after he saw Nesta he was like holy shit like jaw to the floor so he comes in he interrupts them and then starts dancing and up until this point when they kind of discuss this plan they're like oh don't dance with Cassian like Cassian has two left feet but secretly, he's also been practicing with more to learn these dances to impress Nesta. It's really cute. So they end up dancing a few more dances. And Nesta is just having the time of her life. And I think this is kind of when Reese and Feyre and Amran start to see that Nesta's changing. And that she does have a place in this court. Yeah. And they're starting to appreciate her. And Cassian's kind of like, see? Fucking told you. This is what I've been talking about. So they're at the River House. And they're doing, you know, their events. It's Fair's birthday. They have cake. They're sharing presents. They're doing... The solstice traditions. Yes. Yeah. They're happy and merry. But at the end of the night, she goes to bed and Cassian comes up to her room and is like, hey, like, I actually have a gift for you. And he gives her this orb that plays music because Nesta loves music and she loves to dance. And that's something that she talks about, like, yes, she wanted to go drink in these bars, but she really wanted to listen to the music and, like, lose her emotions to the music. And... Cassian tells her that he went back to the Court of Nightmares the next day to get the musicians to play the music so there wouldn't be any crowd noise. So the bad boys have this tradition after the winter solstice that they go and do a snowball fight. I can't believe we didn't talk about it in Frost and Starlight. What a disservice. (laughs) Nesta wakes up in Cassian's arms and she's like happy for the first time and what feels like fucking ever. And he's like, gotta go, gotta go play snowball. And he's like, I'll never hear the end of if I don't win this year, blah, blah, blah. And so he pieces out. And then after the snowball fight, he is just kind of like really flustered and doesn't really know how to deal with his emotions with Nesta. And he This already... man has had so long to deal with these I emotions. know, I know. But he had already also planned this trip to the Illyrian war camps because he was going to be up there. So he spends, basically, they spend five days apart from each other. And you get a POV from both of them. And they're both restless like restless they're thinking about each other all the time the mating bond has snapped into place and if you remember when recent favors mating bonds snapped into place they could not be without each other for like days on end so they're they're both unsettled <laughs> to say the least that's a good way to put it their feathers are ruffled that's the pg way of saying it <laughs> um the house there's a little like personal library in the house that's detached from like the big library and it sets up these little beds for them and they just have this grand time and because the house basically grants Nesta whatever she wants, 
they get like pegasuses and brownies and cakes and bubble baths. <laughs> it's a really cute scene. So when Cassian gets back and Nesta, Gwen, and Emery go back for training the next day, they see that the training ring has been transformed into this obstacle course, basically. Cassian and Azriel explain to them that they think that, you know, not only are the three of them ready for this, but also the other priestesses, like, they want them to try and beat this obstacle course. Like, that's the next phase of their training. And so they do this for a few weeks, and there's kind of a few pages of, like, a montage of time of them. Like, yeah, they try, they fail, they yeah. try, they fail. And they're building their friendship bonds. They're, they're building their bonds of, you know, teamwork, all that kind I of stuff. I really thought you were going to say friendship again, and I was like, <laughs> got it. Um. So after a few weeks, Gwen, Emery, and Nesta finally pass. I don't know if we've talked about the blood rape before. We'll talk about it in a fucking minute. But that's for sure. I'll give you a preview. So the blood rape is this Illyrian ritual, right? That happens. It's, it's a rite. <laughs> that happens every year. So they can winnow in the Illyrian warriors into this camp. And for the rest of the blood rite, they give them they give them this like potion kind of thing like a sleeping draft that makes them fall asleep and like controls their magic right so when they get dumped into the blood right they have no no abilities right. beyond their strength and that they can't use their wings to fly the purpose of the blood right is basically you fight to the death yeah <laughs> and the illyrians who survive become full illyrian warriors but there's different classifications so if you just survive you're just like they have special names i don't know what they are and i no. cannot pronounce them you're level one. <laughs> You're level one. But if you get to the base of their sacred mountain, level two. And then if you get to the mountain and you climb all the way to the top and there's this... You hit the summit. The stone on top. A is, sacred If you touch that stone, you're the highest classification And that's what Reese, Cassian, and Asriel are. Yeah. There are only 12 of them. Total. In history. That is the blood rite. So they pass this obstacle course and Cassian and Asriel are like, oh, congratulations. You, you did it. After they pass the um, the obstacle, there's still some more training. Like, Cassian basically turns to them and, like, says, oh, your training's never complete. Like, right. you need to train every day. I mean, Asriel and Cassian are training alongside yeah. them every day. So there's more training that happens, more time passing, and a little montage again. One day, Nesta and Cassian are coming back from some, like, court responsibility that they have, and they're talking about recent Feyre and... Nessa's basically like, I don't know if I could be... Cassie makes a joke and it's like, oh, why can't we be that comfortable? And Nessa's basically like, well, they're mates, you know, and we're not. <laughs> and Cassian's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and they get in the whole argument and, Ness and Cassian's like, why can't you just admit that we're mates? And Nesta basically says, you know, I can't say that thing. I can't call you my mate because once I do, I've lost the last bit of my humanity. Like, once I do that, I am no longer human. And it's this really big decision for her in a way. Especially when he's so smitten with Nesta. Yeah. And he says some really hurtful things to her and she's like, I can't be with you right now. And so she has more take her up to Emery's house slash shop in Windhaven. She's like, I just need to be with my friends. I will come find you in 24 hours and give you my answer. And she's basically like, in 24 hours, I will officially or not officially accept this mating pond. So more windows are up there. 
and they're there for a little while and then she hears a knock on the door and Gwen shows up. It's the first time Gwen has left the mountain. Yeah. Since she's come yeah, come there. And it's this really big point because you know, obviously throughout this whole this whole book Nesta and Emery and Gwen have been talking about, you know, some of their struggles, but they haven't explicitly said what happened has happened to them. And Gwen's just like, I don't know if I'd ever have the courage to leave this place. And so her having the courage to support Nesta and come to help Nesta really means a lot to her. And so they just kind of have this like night to themselves, you know, they make dinner and they hang out and they chat and there's kind of like girl time. So they go to bed and then in the middle of the night, <laughs> They get but also, kicked. when they go to bed, Nesta's kind of decided what she's going to do. Yeah, she's decided that she's in love with Cassian and that right. they're going to be mates. Right. And it's that everything just, is good. It makes the next part worse. So, in the middle of the night, some Illyrians come because they can winnow, because it's the night before the blood rite, and they take the three of them. The tradition of the blood rite is really old and kind of goes beyond the High Lord's power, and one stipulation or law is that if you try to take someone out of the blood right, you will be killed, and the person you tried to take out would also be killed. So once, even once they figure out that Nesta and Emery and Gwen are in the blood right, no one, not even Reese, can come and save yeah. them. Because the 24 hours is up, and Cassian's like, where is this bitch? I'm going to Windhaven. He goes, they find out, they basically put together that they've all been taken and they're in the blood right, and no one can do anything about it. And the blood rate is five days or seven days? I think it's a week. Yeah, I think it's a week. So there's just like this week of agony on Cassian's end, but also the three of them are literally fighting and for their lives. And they separated them yeah. so that they have to find their way back to each other. Yeah. So this part of the book is, there's a lot that goes into it, and I don't want to get into the details. Yeah, we'll give you the condensed version. I think it's important to read, and I think there's there's just a lot of action that happens. But like Zoe said, the three of them are separated. They fight their way back to each other. They form this team that they've been working on, you know, for months and months and months in their training. Once it gets to a certain point, or uh, both Gwen and Emery are hurt, but they make it to the base of this mountain. And (coughs) they make it to the base of this mountain. And Nesta is like, the two of you, like Emery, you just need to help Gwen get up to the top. Once you touch the stone in the top, you are automatically transported out. Like, just get the two of you out of here. And Nessa decides that she's going to hold this line. Nessa's essentially, like, sacrificing herself again to save the people that she loves. So she ends up fighting different Illyrians because these other Illyrians are trying to kill the three women because they don't think that women are deserving of this. And one of them in there, fucking Bellius. Yeah. It's bitch again. And Nessa ends up fighting him. She kills him. Yeah. Cassian is under the influence of the crown and Briallan orders Cassian to kill Nesta because Nesta, or, uh, Briallan wants Nesta to turn her young and Nesta refuses. And like Zoe said, this lasts seven days. So for the seven day period, you cannot use any magic. So Nesta's just kind of like chatting and stalling and then Cassian goes to kill her and they're like fighting and then the sun rises and then it's the eighth day now. And so then Nesta gets her power. And she uses her silver flames to smite Briallan, basically. And burns her to dust. And then Nesta gets the crown for herself. They have the third object of the Dread Trove. Cassian's not under its influence. And they admit to each other that they're mates. 
and it's really sweet. And then they make it back to the... He feels pretty bad that he tried to kill her. Yeah, there's a whole... There's a lot going into yeah. it. Again, you need to read it for yourself. But their happiness is short-lived, like in any SJM novel. Yeah. <laughs> so they get back to the night court, and they're like, Hey, I survived! My friends survived! Yay! Ha-ha. And Moore's like, Farrah's giving birth. <laughs> like, she went into labor early, basically. And... Feyre, like, by the time they'd gotten back, had been bleeding for, like, multiple days. Yeah. So she's dying. Right. And they all go to the river house. Things are tense. Reese is sad. Yeah. <laughs> Reese is sad. Not the best scene to walk into. Feyre is literally on her deathbed. Yeah. The healer, Magda, Magda does this C-section, basically. They get the baby out. The baby doesn't cry when it's born. Reese, Feyre, and the baby are all going to die, basically. And Nesta is just sitting there watching all this happen. And she's thinking and thinking and thinking, like, what can I do? Like, I wish I had more time. She's just filled with regret and remorse and grief. And so she calls on the three objects of the Dread Trove because she has this idea that maybe she can use the trove to save her sister. So she puts on all three objects which no person has ever wielded all three objects and survived. So Nesta puts them on, and she plucks the last string of the harp, which is time itself. And so Nesta stops time, first of all. Pause for dramatic effect. Nesta stops time, period. Right. In this, she stops Feyre from dying. She walks to Feyre, that kind of puts her hands around her, and is pleading with the cauldron and, like, with the trove and the fabric of Prithian, like, I will, the universe. I will give my power back to you if you save my sister and her baby. And through this, she kind of makes this bargain with the cauldron in a way. She uses the dread trove and restores the cauldron's power back to it, like from herself back to the cauldron. She saves both the baby and Feyre. And by virtue, Reese. Yeah. After all this kind of goes down, there's this description where, like, you can see the power flowing into Reese or flowing into Feyre and flowing into the baby. And then they take a step back and they talk about, you know, like, Nessa paused time. So when everyone kind of blinks back in, like, Nessa's at Feyre's bedside and, like, she's okay. And then the baby starts to cry. And Reese just drops to the floor and is sobbing. He's like, You saved my mate. Like, so apologetic and so thankful. And that's a big turning point for their relationship. But kind of like one caveat of this is because you get kind of this from um, Cassian's point of view now is that Nesta's given up her power. But Cassian realizes like there's this kernel of it left inside of her. So I think that's kind of just an Easter egg for, you know, what's to come. Fair is okay. They save the baby. The baby, they end up naming Nyx. And they rec- she reconciles with Cassian. Obviously, everything's good at this point. So then she turns to Cassian after and she's like, I changed Fair's anatomy so that, you know, if her and Reese want to have more Illyrian children, they can. And I also did some work to myself. And they all live happily ever after. The end. <laughs> but it's never really the end. No. <laughs> Sarah Janet. The series is not over. No. Yeah, there will be more books to come. Okay, everyone. Now that we've done the summary and the whole shebang about the plot, we're going to talk about our thoughts. And I have a lot of thoughts about this book personally as i have said before this is my favorite sjm book and my favorite book out of this series specifically before we get into this i just want to address my bias i am a nesta bitch 
through and through. I I am here for Nesta. I admit that she does wrongs. She has flaws, but you know, don't we all? Don't we all? Oh my god. But just I would like to put that out there. I would like to address my bias, my conflict of interest, like any good scientist would. Initial thoughts. When I was first reading this, I was obviously sad to see Feyre and Reese's story end, but I think if I had read another book from Feyre and Reese's point of view, it just wouldn't have had the same impact. It was tough. Like, you know, you see that trilogy end, but I'm excited for the next books that she's going to write because I think there'll probably be maybe another Nesta book. I hope so. I hope so, too. That's for next episode. Yeah, I was really excited to see kind of the transition. Like, yes, it was a little bit weird at first, you know, to change. Like, it's such a different plot and different POV than recent Feyre, but I was, I liked it. Some things about Nesta that I have thoughts about. As, as you know, and as we've discussed, she's not having a good time. No, she's having a bad time. She's been through a lot. You know, within the past year, essentially, she's lost her humanity. She's lost bodily autonomy. Her dad's died. Her entire family cannot stand her. No one likes her. And she's, like, an incredibly proud person. And so all of this is just really weighing heavily on her. You know, when you're seeing those character traits come out in A Court of Frost and Starlight, it's from everyone's point of view but Nesta's. And I think that portrays her in a really negative light. I think until reading Silver Flames, I was kind of like, eh, Nesta's fine. But she's, like, kind of a bitch. But an intriguing bitch. (laughs) An intriguing bitch. (laughs) So when I was reading her perspective and you're you know all of these events and all these like traumas and you know horrible things that she's endured you have just like knowledge of them but when you read them for her perspective I think it human humanizes her in such a different way I get an entirely different perspective on her and an entirely different perspective on her struggle and I think I can empathize with her in a way and I wrote that like it makes her more relatable even if that's like a tough realization that I had to come to because I think Nesta has a lot of negative self-talk and a lot of harsh criticism about herself and I think that's something that is like unfortunately relatable to me and to a lot of other women specifically and even if those are like tough things to deal with I think I think critical self-talk or like a critical self-image is something that a lot of people feel about themselves and it makes Nesta a relatable character and you know, she may have this, like, icy exterior, but when you get her point of view, you can see these struggles that she's having, and you know that, you know that these feelings are not without consequence or own conscience, and, uh, you know, she, she is really struggling. I don't think that when it's, these struggles are characterized from recent favorite's point of view, they're characterized as well as from her own point of view. Yeah. But this point of view really kind of changed my opinion of her And another qualm I have about her characterization is that people say that she's just, like, not willing to help her family. And that is true to an extent. But there is a point in this book where she's talking, she's talking about, you know, before she was turned into a fae, she was thinking about becoming a prostitute, basically, to help her family. Like, there's something that comes, I don't exactly know what's, like, spurs this conversation but she doesn't really care about her body and she like sex is not meaningful to her because when she was in the human lands and like they were living in poverty she thought about you know selling her body and selling sex to help her family and she was also seeing this mortal man at the time 
named Thomas and he assaulted her. And so kind of from that point on, she has really detached herself from sex and from her own body in a way. And especially after the events of the cauldron, like she's lost body, bodily autonomy in multiple ways. And I think there's this like misconception that, you know, Feyre is the only one that did anything for this family. I think we even talked about that in some of our past episodes. But like, yes, Feyre did go out and put herself in danger, but Nesta was also willing, you know, to do that just in a different way. And I think it's unfair characterization to say that Nesta doesn't care about her family because she does, but I just don't think it's displayed in the same way that we would expect. She doesn't act on it, even if she feels it. So another thing that I really, really enjoyed about this book is her character arc. And I think she just really comes into her own and her own power and her healing journey is just, it's really powerful and it's really sweet and it's very moving to me. She has this realization that she can accomplish, you know, whatever she wants through hard work and she's built this support system for herself. And I think it's just a really like powerful lesson and it's just an empowering lesson too um, that I really like. And, you know, even if she has these issues or, you know, these like mistakes that she's made in her past that isn't going to hold her back and she's not going to be powerless going forward, which is just, it's just an empowering message that I like. Um, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but kind of harping on this more. It's her breakdown at the lake. Harp? Did you say harp? <laughs> like, like the drug show? The harp? Her breakdown at the lake and just kind of this 180 that she does, that she has with Cassian. It's so fantastic, and I need all of you to read it. And please talk to me about it. DM us. If you know me, text me. Please. I would love to talk to you more about Someone it. Someone please talk to her about it. <laughs> because I... It's a sweet scene, but I just don't have these feelings. <laughs> when I was writing the summary for this part, I was flipping through Zoe's copy of the book, and I was reading part of it, and I cried. She had bit. tears in her eyes. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> don't roll your eyes at me. I'm rolling my eyes at you. It's, it's a good scene. Okay. Now that we've talked about the good, let's talk about the bad. Specifically, Reese. Uh, we're gonna have some disagreement about Zoe this later. does not agree with me, so feel free to jump in. I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna wait till my turn because I feel like my thoughts makes better sense. Like, okay, can, together. Right off the bat, this book ruined Reese for me. Period. Point blank. End of sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I have thoughts about this. Let me get into my my points. I have a thesis. <laughs> okay, so I will admit that. You know, up until this book, the other three books have been from Feyre's point of view, which is going to be the most favorable characterization of Reese because right. Reese and Feyre are mates. Like Reese is Feyre's love of her life, and you are never going to be more favorable than in someone you love's eyes. Feyre's characterization and point of view of Reese is going to be the absolute best version of Reese that is possible. And in this book, you're getting Nessa's point of view, who hates Reese, and Reese hates her. So obviously Nessa's characterization of Reese is going to be a worse characterization compared to Feyre. And just a bad one all around because they don't get along. But also from Cassian's perspective, Cassian is Reese's best friend. He's a brother to him. And Cassian is also frustrated with Reese and does not agree with the choices that Reese is making. So I don't think that you can fully just write off Reese's characterization in this book to Nesta not liking Reese. Because Cassian loves Reese. He's Reese's brother. They're they're buddies. 
so I think people who say, oh, well, it's just because this book is from Nessa's POV, I, I don't agree with that. Like I said, you know, up until this point, we've read Feyre's point of view of Reese, and that is going to be the best version of him. But personally, and this is not just my thought, I've seen this in other places too, that I think Nesta is a mirror to Reese's own trauma in a way, and he doesn't handle this well. And you can also see that in the way that he acts with Tamlin, because I think Tamlin is also a mirror to Reese's trauma, and Reese hates Tamlin. Yeah. And so. He do be hating Tamlin. <laughs> so, you know, Reese lost his family. He went through this war. He was also assaulted by Amarantha. And I don't know if Reese knows that Nesta was assaulted, but, you know, they both have that shared unfortunate experience. Unlike Nesta, where she's had this time to just, like, wallow in her grief and deal with it as however she wants and kind of sit in her grief, Reese didn't have that option because, you know, when his dad died and the rest of his family died, he immediately became High Lord and he just had to, like, put on this brave face and, you know, pick up his pieces and just move on. Like, he didn't have time to really grieve in a way. And I don't think he's... He's had, he's lived like 500 years before he meets Feyre. And during that whole process, he's not had time to take a breath until after this most recent war. And I think that really influences some of his actions and behaviors. In a way, both Tamlin, Reese, and Nesta have similar stories. And I think Reese resents Nesta because she is being given this time in this space to kind of fuck up and to grieve and to just not have responsibility and I think he is not necessarily jealous of that but he is upset because he couldn't have that experience and he just had to go and be high lord and there was no room for him to like stop so I think that's part of the reason that he's especially hard on her in Frost and Starlight and in the beginning of this book before they kind of like have this intervention because you know Reese since Frost and Starlight has been plotting to, like, have this intervention. He's just been waiting for a time for Feyre to be like, okay, fine, you know. But in A Court of Silverflame specifically, Feyre is pregnant, like we talked about, and Reese knows that she's going to die. And this is something that we, I don't know if we said this, but Reese deliberately decides not to tell Feyre that she's going to yeah. die. And I have a lot of thoughts about this I will only get into a few of them but a I think it's just blatantly wrong I think it's a fucked up thing that he did because Reese's whole kind of mentality especially with inner circle but specifically with Feyre is that she will always have a choice and that he will always have her consent to do to act on certain things if she wants to go places like if there is a choice it is Feyre's choice to make and Reese specifically throws all of that out the window when she's pregnant. And it just is so backwards from everything that he's done. And it's something that I just personally do not agree with. And I think it's like a very shitty thing that he did. You know, during this whole pregnancy, Reese is really torn up that Feyre is pregnant first of all, because he feels this like instinctual need to protect her. But also he knows that Feyre is going to die. So he's even more protective of her. And in uh, Frost and Starlight, there's this whole conversation between Feyre and Reese about, you know, settling down and having children and, like, wanting to have children. And Reese knows that Feyre wanting to have kids comes from a place of, like, her feeling safe and wanting to establish roots and, like, really putting herself 
in one place for a long time because she can finally like be at peace with her mate and the life that they built together and Nesta is in direct threat to that and so I think that also causes a lot of tension between Reese and Nesta but I just you know between everything that he does and says to Nesta and everything that he does to Feyre specifically by not you know giving her the choice of how she wants to live out the rest of her life in these few months I'm anti-Reese and it really makes me angry and I know he's going to be important in the later books but I just I don't really know how SJM can kind of come back from this because it's such a departure from his personality and I know at the end of the book like Reese makes amends with Nesta but I think there's a lot more that needs to happen for me to be okay with him from now on like I just I really don't trust him as a character I think he's if there are any like POVs about him I think he's going to be an unreliable narrator I just I'm not sold Hmm. (laughs) how do you feel okay my thoughts on Reese are really conflicting first I want to address the stuff about Feyre I think first and foremost, it is fucked up. And I'm never going to say that it's not fucked up. Yeah. I don't think it's fair what he did. I think it's wrong. And if I had found out that someone who loved me deliberately withheld that information from me, I would have been really upset. Mm-hmm. And Faber really just brushes past yeah. it. I like to think that they probably had a private conversation yeah. about it that we don't see because they're not the main characters. Okay. The way he's panicking, his reaction makes sense. It's not good, but it is more in line with his character than I think we're willing to, like... No, and he... It's in line with his past experience. And he also, like, has said before that he will go... He will burn the world down for Feyre. Right. And we've mentioned before in other episodes that Reese is someone who internalizes Mm. a lot of turmoil. And I think he's doing the only thing that he knows how to do, which is put all of the responsibility onto that's what he did in wings and ruin Mm -hmm. with the war is he put so much of that blame and that stress onto himself Mm -hmm. and didn't share so much of it with pharah because he didn't want to worry her like all this so i think that this is actually really in line with reese's character because he's putting all of the responsibility and the stress of this Mm -hmm. on him and the stress and responsibility of trying to figure out how to, because I think for a very long time in the book, Reese thinks that he's going to solve yeah. the problem. And the thing is, like, if Feyre didn't actually almost die, really probably would not have come up. Like, Yeah, it's just, I get where you're coming from, and I understand what you're saying. It's just frustrating. It is, fr- it doesn't, it doesn't completely track with the way he yeah. treats Feyre, and I... I'm also confused about why SJM would take that route. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, too, is, like, you know, these are fictional characters, and the plot is fictional, but, like, she wrote this in a specific way, and it, you know, knowing her and knowing the previous, like, reading all of her other books, like, I feel like she's setting up for something, and having this, like, shift in character, I'm like, what is this leading to, you know? But I don't know that it's a shift in character. I think it's one thing... That's out of character. Yeah. yeah because yeah. I feel like the rest of it tracks with who he is, except for the, like, Feyre always has a choice. Yeah. That's the only thing that doesn't track. But, like, I don't think that that is the major character shift that it, a lot of people make it out to be. Yeah. So I'm really not surprised about the beef between them. No, absolutely um, not. <laughs> and I, like, I agree with what you said. I think that they are kind of two sides of the same coin. 
and that's hard for him mm-hmm. and i think that just in general that elaine is a sister that is just she is a people pleaser she is not a problem causer you know like she's yeah. the easy one to deal with but i think part of the reason that reese gets along with her better is because elaine picked up the pieces and healed from her trauma like he did right and nesta won't and reese like that's what i'm talking about like the mirror side of it yeah elaine assimilated yeah and nesta's pushing back but also i really don't disagree with the choice that they made in the beginning to have that intervention for i see a lot of people online criticize like Mm -hmm. really being harsh on reese and feyre for making that decision was the choice to just let Nesta right like that's not what like this I feel like I think this is one of those things that because it's from Nesta's point of view this particular part in the beginning gets lost Mm -hmm. that this really was especially from Feyre coming from a place of love yeah and I don't think even though Reese doesn't like Nesta I don't think there was anything malicious about like Mm -hmm. He was doing this. He was doing it for Feyre. For Feyre. Yeah. If it was up to him, he would have kicked Nesta out on her ass. Yeah. Like, let's be real here. I think that that gets lost a lot, that mm-hmm. they were doing this as a last-ditch effort to help Nesta because she was not going to help herself. And there was no point where she was coming to a place where she wanted to help herself. No, either. she was only getting worse. Yeah. And yeah. I so, like, fair. I think that that characterization of Reese and Feyre regarding that one specific choice, Mm -hmm. that was what Nesta needed. And it's unfair to say that they are bad people for doing that. And I think maybe the methods are a little bit harsh, but I do agree that... Nesta wasn't going to cooperate any other way. I also think that this dichotomy that you could only be pro-Nesta or pro-Reese, and I'm looking at you right now. I know. I feel like that needs to end. As you're saying that, I'm like, yeah. At the end of the book, Reese and Nesta aren't beefing anymore. And I get what you're saying, like, that this shows a different side of Reese. Mm -hmm. But at the end of A Court of Silver Flames, things between the two of them are mostly resolved. Yeah. And it's obviously, like, not going to be perfect. Like, I'm not picking up the next book expecting Reese and Nesta to be, like, drinking buddies, like, bro and sis. But... I think that they both change the way that they think about each other. And I think if people don't just kind of like get over the fact that they didn't like each other and it wasn't like, it wasn't like Reese just hated Nesta. Mm. Nesta hated Reese. Like it was a mutual hating. Yeah. And acknowledge that things have changed as a result of Silver Flames. First of all, I think that that like falls back into like characterizing Nesta for who she is and not recognizing how she's changed, Mm. that she can never repair this relationship with Reese. Yeah. That she can never forgive Reese, like those kinds of things. I think that that is bad, but I also think that you're just going to be sorely disappointed in the next few books mm-hmm. because Reese is going to play an important role, I'm sure. Yeah. Nesta is probably going to be an important character, and they're probably going to be semi civil with each other. Yeah. And from my perspective, it's not that I'm like pro one or the other, it's that I. I'm having a hard time reconciling trilogy Reese with Silver Flames Reese. But I think that you capture that well. Like, Feyre has the most favorable point of view of him. Yeah. You don't know that, like, there were probably times in Mist and Fury and Wings and Ruin where Reese did stuff and Cassian was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. why would you do that? 
you just didn't see even see Cassie's point of view when Reese allows Kier to come to right. Valeris. Like I feel like that's kind of the start of that. Right. There's pushback from yeah. Cassian saying that even Cassian's like not happy with Reese. That's not completely fair either because this is the first time we've seen Cassian's point of view. Really, yeah. I think the SJM likes Reese too much to oh 100%. make him into a character 100%. that you're not supposed to like. Oh yeah, for sure. I think that this goes back to the fact that Reese is not perfect and that he's semi-morally gray. Yeah. He is a morally gray character, and I think you kind of forget that because of Miss Inferior and Wings of Ruin because there's so much, like, relationship and so right. much development between him and Feyre. Right, and he is someone who makes bad choices, mm-hmm. partially because he doesn't know what to do, partially because he's trying to protect the people he loves, mm-hmm. and because he thinks that he can solve everything himself. Yeah. And I don't think, like, if SJM didn't want us to like Reese, she wouldn't have had the moment at the end between him and Nesta. Right. Like, I think that is the step in the bridge to the next book. Right. And I also think that, like, no matter the fact that Reese made an absolutely shitty choice in refusing to tell Feyre that, Mm -hmm. I think that what we know from the trilogy is that Reese would absolutely never do anything to hurt Feyre. Yeah. That is, I think he would literally sooner, like, walk into boiling lava than intentionally hurt Feyre. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is something to keep in mind about him. Like, he was doing what he thought was best, Mm -hmm. even though it was wrong. And I think that we all make choices that we think are best and end up being the wrong choice. They hurt people. Yeah. And that doesn't make anyone a bad person, per se. Is it time for my specific thoughts? I thought that's where we were. Well, we were talking about Reese. I didn't know if you had anything, any last thoughts before I get a little more introspective. I will say, you know, we're prescribing a lot of, like, thought and action to these characters. And SJM may have just written this, like, pregnancy trope in there and made this decision and didn't think it was going to cause the backlash that it would cause. And we've... Because there's this perceived backlash and, like, we don't agree with it, we've put so much, like, stock into it, and she could have just thought it was this, like, not a throwaway plot, but just, like, a very minor plot point. A subplot. That everyone else has really been, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. And now she's got to deal with it. I mean, no matter what, she has to deal with it. Yeah. So, this kind of goes what you said about Nesta at first. Nesta, I would describe Nesta as, like, a soul character for me. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say that in another way, like how to kind of explain what that is, but Nesta's just a character that is, I feel her very deeply. I see a lot of myself in her. Mm-hmm. So I also really, really like Nesta. I'm very biased towards Nesta. Mm-hmm. I feel very deeply related to Nesta in my own person. So just keep those things in mind with what I've said and what I'm about to say. I would like to go back to the pregnancy trope for a second. I fucking hate the pregnancy trope if you've listened to our trope or nope episode yeah you know this a lot i think occasionally a pregnancy trope can be done well i don't think it's a like 100 percent yeah bad it's a 99 percent bad for me yeah and would you say this pregnancy trope was done well no <laughs> what the fuck why can't they do a fucking c-section Let- this healer can put together cassian's guts hanging Multiple out of him times reconstruct his wings. wings but she cannot save she can't do a, a C-section that they did back in the days of ancient Rome? Yeah. Caesar? Sarah Jana, explain <laughs> yourself. Anyways, 
She's got magic for I dancing. know. <laughs> I also just really dislike that they had a baby. Yeah. I. She's 21 years old. Not to mention that the whole death bond thing. I think that that is going to be, end up being something that is going to be a strain on SJM's ability to write them in the future. Oh, yeah. Unless somehow they decide to just dissolve the death bond. Which, like, I'm going to be real. If I had a kid and I had a mate with my partner, or I had a bargain with my partner that if I die, they die, you know, that. Mm -hmm. And then we had a kid, I'd be like, yo, one of us has got to be here for the kid. Yeah. So. It's trauma, baby. uh, Oh. (laughs) But based on the way that things stand now, there's obviously more conflict coming. Oh, yeah. Like, Coast Che, still unresolved. We'll and, get into this deeply. Yes, eventually. That is going to be a problem. Yeah. And it seems weird to me that both Reese and Feyre are unavailable because of both the death bond and, and the Nyx. baby. Like, they've got a newborn child. I mean, it's not even that, like, Reese can be like, Feyre, stay here with the babe. Do your motherly duties, babe. I'm going to go fight. <laughs> or vice versa. You know, yeah. Feyre can't be like, Hold the baby. I'm going to go, like, kill somebody. Hold my because <laughs> the thing is, if by, like, cauldron forbid, one of them dies, the other one dies. I think it is stupid. I agree. And it makes me angry. This is, I feel the same way about Favor having a baby as I do Nesta losing her power. Yeah. I think it takes away part of their, like, badass womanness. But I don't feel like. Feyre having a baby has to make her less than a badass. Like, no, but it limits her badassery ability. I think the death bond is what limits her badassery. Yeah. She could leave the baby with someone and go be a badass. Yeah. I just, I, this is how I feel about the pregnancy trope, and I do talk, talk about this in our Trope or Nope episode, which is really funny. You should listen to it if you haven't. It is really funny. Um, <laughs> but we're quite funny. I think by putting in a pregnancy trope, it basically makes it seem like the only way for a woman to be wholly fulfilled is to have a child. Right. And I just think that's a problematic thing. And it's difficult to cope with. And, again, it limits it limits future possibilities for Feyre and for Reese and for their relationship. But I think it just kind of limits women and Feyre especially to just being a mom. And, like, right. you can be a full and fulfilled person female and like individual without being a mom i think it's hard because like as the high lord reese does need an heir at some point but like was this the best fucking time Uh, less than a year after you just finished a war that is not resolved you haven't even signed the fucking treaty maybe celebrate signing the fucking treaty by getting laid and getting pregnant yeah maybe that's when we decide to do it set up the future for your son right you'll come of age with our young nation (laughs) I wonder if part of it, you know, Reese and Feyre have this whole, like, come to Jesus moment about getting pregnant. But I also wonder if it has to do with the fact that the bone carver, like, Feyre saw the bone carver as their child and kind of knew that this was, like, predestined in a way. I think, yeah. That's literally just SJM writing it to set up to say that they're going to have a kid. Right. Anyways, it it angers me. I just, I don't know how Nick's being involved is going to change the story, but... The ways that I'm envisioning it changing the story are not ones that I like. Unless there's, like, this is how I could see it playing out. Is that there's maybe a little novella of, like, his childhood 
and then we jump forward a little bit. I would be but so not, mad, though. But not that significantly jump forward, because the threat with Koshe is, like, an imminent threat. Because I could see it being helpful where he's, like, a little bit older, and, you know, he's right. been training, and he's fighting, and he can fight alongside mom and dad. But then you miss everyone else's characters in those Their years. lives? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it can be done well. You've said this before, that SJM sees herself as Feyre in a way. I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about that, like, Feyre is, like, kind of like SJM's, like, soul character. Yeah. And, you know, SJM has two kids, and I wonder if in some way, Feyre and Reese having Nyx is a way for her to kind of, like, paint her own happy ending mm-hmm. with their, you know, like, I'm sure she's very happy with her husband and her children. Like, Yeah, good for her. And I think that that happiness in her heart, to her, it's, like, give them this happy ending where they're a happy family with a little boy like me, you yeah. know? like. I love being a mother, you know, why wouldn't this character want right. that? Right, yeah. And I think that Feyre does want that, mm-hmm. based on conversations they have in Frost and Starlight. Yeah. I just think that the timing is poor. Yeah. Also, I would like to say how much I, this is a topic shift, I fucking love Nesta and Cassie yes. together. Yes. I think yes. they're one of my favorite, if not my most favorite, SJM couple. I- the only other contender is in Throne of Glass, and I won't say it for spoiler purposes oh if anyone gosh. hasn't read Throne of Glass, but I think you know who I'm talking about. I know. So, I think that Cassie and Nesta balance each other out oh, so perfectly. well. And I also really love the way that they both, they seem to ground each other. Oh, yeah. And I think that you see both of them, I think at first it's very, like, Cassian heavy, like, grounding nesta but as the story goes on yeah you see nesta ground cassian multiple Mm -hmm. times and like she sees that he's stressed so she wants to relieve his stress they just they seem to know each other so well and know how to help the other yeah i also and this maybe is a little too you're gonna say something psychoanalytic when i say this (laughs) but i think that I just really love the way that Cassian sees the absolute worst in Nesta, <laughs> but he loves her and any- like despite her faults, faults she's still lovable, and my brokenness makes me lovable. <laughs> I knew you would say that, but <laughs> I mean, why people like enemies to lovers? Yeah, well, enemies to lovers. That also just goes to the, like, that is a testament to the strength of their bond, where, like, she is awful to him. <laughs> She's really She's mean so to him. so mean to him. She calls him, like, a nothing, like, bastard, which is something he's so insecure about. Yeah. She exploits his insecurity to upset him. Yes, because that's what she's good at. And this is why the scene on the lake is so fucking heart-wrenching. It is! Because she's like, I don't deserve you. I do not deserve to be loved. I deserve to die. And he is just like, no, you don't. I love you. And here's why I love you. And here's why I'm just as bad as you are. And why we deserve everything in the world. See, my scene that I think is as heart-wrenching is the scene where they talk about Eris. Because yeah. she has one of those moments then, too. Yeah. I There is something about the way that Cassian refuses to give up on her. Yeah, it's very... That ju- it melts my heart. Keep reaching out your hand. Keep reaching out your hand. Ugh! Ah! This is an 11 out of 10 couple for me. Oh, no yes. notes. <laughs> no, no notes. No notes. Also, 
the sex in this book oh, is my God. final point. The sex in this book. I feel like we've strayed from this a little bit in our past Sagittarius episodes. We're really getting back to our roots. It's absolutely stellar. It's so much spicier than the other Agatar books. I just read the Put Your Hands on the Headboard <laughs> scene. I was reading you were on your way home from work. And I was, I was sitting in bed reading it. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> put your hands on the headboard. Okay. No notes. No notes. <laughs> yeah. This book, I would say, is a, a spice level up from the previous Agatar books. But here's the thing. Because I can't do the all sex, no plot books. I I just can't. You know, I can't. I know. And I think that I like the way this book is a solid mix of plot and good sex. Oh, yeah. That's what I want in a book. This is like a 700 plus page book. And it is a good plot book. And there's beautiful bonds of female friendship. There's healing. There's just joy that's happening. You know, Feyre has a baby. But also the spice that dies when she has that baby. What do you mean about fucking joy? <laughs> the pain of childbirth, not the miracle of childbirth. There's so much plot to this book, and people are like, "Oh my god, it's just a spicy little book." No, this thing is a chunk, and it has a good plot, and it also has good spice, and those things are not mutually exclusive. And I love the fact that they're not seeing Nesta heal herself, repair herself, and come back from this dark place is very inspirational. Yeah, it's very empowering. And I think she she doesn't do it alone. No. Which I think is important. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, there's nothing about this book that says you have to pull yourself out of this awful dark place by yourself. She has Cassian. And Cassian, day one, number one cheerleader. Like, yeah. Even before she's in this intervention like in frost and starlight cassian is the only one who cares about right then she has gwen and emery so sweet and it is the bonds of friendship the bonds of female friendship and the the strength of that yeah and how it heals nesta in a different way like her relationships with Feyre and elaine are both strained yeah but she has these two people that are like her family now her sisters right i think reading it now in a place in such a different place allows me to appreciate Nesta's journey more yeah in different ways yeah to take more from it and like I'll say it again to connect with Nesta on such a deep level like yeah and for me I think the first time I read it it was like kind of when I was still getting back into like reading you know I hadn't not where I was now with my reading journey and if you had told me that I would relate to a fictional character, I'd been like, you lost your ever-loving mind. Like, I know you would have. What the fuck is wrong <laughs> you with me? You would have made so much fun of me if oh, I had yeah. said this to you before. Oh, yeah. I think it just speaks to, like, you know, you change and you grow and then you read something. <laughs> oh, I think that's a good place to wrap up, folks. So next week, God willing, COVID willing, we're going to be doing um, just an episode. It'll probably be a little bit shorter of just, like, what we think you can expect from the Agatar yeah. series. Only in the, in the, the most, Agatar series. Yeah. There are lots of thoughts about Akatar and the other SJM books. And I will leave it at that, but we will only be talking about Akatar theories. Only Akatar. <laughs> we might do other SJM theories episodes in the future. That's something that we've talked about and we've wanted to do, but I think it would take a little bit more planning from us. It would. It would also take one of our friends reading the book. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs)
Um, so that's what you can expect next week. Yeah. Those will also, like, obviously be just our own thoughts. Um, we don't have a direct line to SJM, and if we did, we'd be like, what the fuck's up with that pregnancy trope, Sarah? Ma'am. Uh. And then we'll spice it up with non-SJM content. Oh, wow. It's gonna be new for us. I know. If you are interested in anything, if you care about our peanut thoughts enough, and you would like to comment a podcast idea... We would love to hear about it. Peanut thoughts? Peanut gallery. Oh, Jesus Christ. Peanut thoughts from the peanut gallery. A penny for your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I have absolutely no podcast ideas, so I'm going to have to do some introspection. If you like this episode, <laughs> remember to leave a five-star review wherever <laughs> you're listening so that our podcast continues to grow. You should also check us out on Instagram at roommates.who.read. Or you should check us out on TikTok, mm-hmm. rwread.pod on TikTok. I just discovered this man and now I'm emotionally bonded oh to him. Oh my god. But I'm wearing cream. You know what I would do for my ego? Chocolate, but Elijah. <laughs>